Hi, I'm JD. This is ChimeraCast, a production of the Chimera Collective. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. We also have merch available and just launched our Patreon. For backing, you'll gain access to our Discord and the ability to vote on upcoming Seasides. You can also get an RSS feed for an unabridged table-side version of the podcast, which includes all our banter, rules discussions, and session debriefs. We'll also have game readings and occasional exclusive Seasides in that feed. Links to the details and our social media are in the show notes. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Melio Moretti, the bard. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Urazidi, the spellblade. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Kimmin Belaskis, the shaman. I'm JD. I'm your dungeon master for this game. This is ChimeraCast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. Last time we left off, you guys passed through the strange and isolated dwarven walled city of Law, having met a guide there, Ish, who kind of took you guys around the city before you made your way up through the Howling Valley, up toward the Harpies Pass. You guys have stopped just outside at what is called the Gate of Jet marked by two broken Cyclopean statues, which we learned are symbols of the servants of death, and had lunch there. And you guys were about to, or had just packed kind of everything up, and were heading between the statues into this kind of narrow, ravine's not the right word, but kind of a crevice in the mountain past these statues. Do you guys have any questions about anything before we get into it? No, I think I'm all good. No? Hell yeah. So here's what we're going to do. So you guys are about to enter the Harpies Pass. The Harpies Pass marks the official start of the Vulture Lands. So once you pass through the Gate of Jet, you guys will be in the Vulture Lands proper. And from that point on, within the Vulture Lands, we're going to be doing a point crawl. So what this means is I have set up a map of connected points of interest within the Vulture Lands. I'm not going to share that map with you guys because it doesn't matter really. What matters is like from your character's perspective, being able to travel to these different points of interest. For anybody who doesn't know, a point crawl is just a type of map making for overland travel in RPGs that is kind of a derivative of what started out as hex crawls, where you would have a, a hex map and then you would always have six directions that you can move in. The point crawl instead just says, take the points of interest, the most interesting things that are within that hex crawl and travel in between those points only. So you're not going to have six directions from each location. There will only be a few different choices you guys will be making each time. Of course, the goal, the reason that all of you are here is to reach the Cyclopolis, which is somewhere within the Vulture Lands. So I'm not expecting you guys to necessarily explore every nook and cranny of this place. In fact, it's not at all designed for that to be the case, but feel free to explore as much as you want. And if you reach the Cyclopolis, obviously we'll kind of do a different thing from that point on. You guys can skip past it and keep looking around or go straight in or whatever you guys want to do. Does this all make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. In order to support this, I have some moves that I've written up. Don't worry about it. I'm going to share the link with you guys. But I have moves to support the kind of exploration and travel part of the, the overland aspect of the Vulture Lands. So I will drop those in the chat for you guys. And I will also post this document up in the show notes once we post this episode for anybody to use in their games. Ish, having packed up his gear, heads past the two statues and heads in between these steep walls. Immediately, the sun is blocked by this overhanging ledge that you guys are fitting between in, in the cracks in the mountain. You guys are going to guide your way up. You hit a few 
spots where you have to scurry past some some piles of rocks that have kind of fallen down. And then you come to a ledge, or rather, you come to what is a wall from your perspective, something that you would have to climb up into this next part of this little narrow passageway. When you guys reach this point, Isht pulls out his little hand crossbow and begins attaching an arrow with some nasty-looking barbs on the side, cranks it into place, and shoots it up into the top of the rock. Trailing behind it is a twisted cord that is attached to his crossbow, and he plants the edge of his crossbow in the ground. It is time to start climbing up higher to get to the pass. And then he gestures for the rope and tugs on it. This should hold everyone's weight. All right, fine, I'll go first. And Kimmon, like, tugs on it for a moment. I'll let you know what's up there. And I'll start climbing. Cool. I don't really think it's particularly interesting at this point to give you a roll. You can climb up this rope. It'll take you a little bit, but the rope is going to hold firm. Yeah, are you guys waiting for him to reach the very top before you start climbing? Nah, I'll follow him up. What about you, Urizidi? Yeah, Urizidi is also going to follow up the rope, I think. Excellent. As Kimmin, you make it to the top of the rope. You realize that there are a few of these like notches in the stone where obviously this has been done before. This is not the first time that this little hook has been used. And you have to kind of throw an arm over. And as you swing your body over, you're hit with this pungent odor. It's like the worst kind of New Year's vomit. Just like you haven't been eating anything and you've just been drinking champagne. Uh, and you threw it all back up, like, all over the floor. But you don't remember any of that. And you wake up the next day and you just find it at, like, noon. Like, the sun's been baking it all day. So Kevin begins pulling himself up and nearly loses his balance as he instinctively presses his nose to his sleeve, coughing down the rope. <laughs> Gods, hold your breath when you get to the top. And I'm going to roll over the ledge. What's here? What what do I see? What is uh what smells like that? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, that's answered immediately. I'm not necessarily gonna have you roll for that. I'll give you probably a DR if you spend a little bit more time like looking around. But you can tell that this used to be an alpine meadow a long time ago. It's kind of an open expanse at the top of the mountains. There's still the peaks above you, but you realize that this section of the mountain basically is cutting through. And across the mountains. So you have the mountain peaks in front of you and behind you. But this little stretch is kind of open. But where there probably should be or probably once was, you know, those kind of alpine wildflowers that grow high in the mountains is what looks like piles of bird shit. And what appears to be the vomited up half digested remains of small critters all across this valley. There are like stalagmites of what looks like bird shit, piled up and piled up, hardened by the sun, baked by it. Eyes watering, Kimmin sits on the ledge, feet dangling over, facing away from the bird shit. I'm going to begin cutting at one of my sleeves with my dagger. I'm going to pour some water onto it and make a face covering, because this seems extremely difficult to deal with. Probably be very hard to concentrate with a, a smell that pungent. Certainly for the kind of delicate workings of spirit magic, I, I would assume. Later, I'm going to make a full mask so that I can have, like, eye holes with soul glass over them and have, like, a, a weird mask, but that's not going to be now. This is going to be a little bit more ad hoc. Excellent. Isht shouts up from, from the bottom. Can you see anything? Is the sky clear? My eyes are watering too much. One second. I cover my face and... I'm going to start, you know, looking for birds. You realize that the, the sky is um, hazy. Well, it's certainly brighter than it was in the shadows in the crevice of the mountain. Like, you can see where the sun is, but it's like it's behind a cloud. But the cloud is the entire sky. Like, it's, it's all kind of this gray overhang haze. But as you're looking around, you're not going to catch sight of anything, like, in the air. No birds. I don't see anything yet. Melio, as you make it to the top, you throw your arm over, and your hand just plants in some ichor. Uh, it's kind of slimy, and there's some definite, like, soft bones in there. As you pull yourself up and over, you realize that you've stuck your hand in something undesirable. 
And you are also hit with this smell. Yeah, I'm hit with that stink. I suppose this is the... And I throw myself over the top, try and like flick my hand clean. The harpies pass. And I rub my hand off on my pant leg, disgusted. I look over to my compatriot. That seems like a good idea for this stench. I start tearing off a little bit of an arm sleeve to try and cut wrap around my face as well. They certainly have an advantage. My eyes watered as soon as I got here. I could barely see a damned thing. I look around from side to side. There doesn't really seem to be much up here at all. Just bird shit. Well, something had to make it. Don't get comfortable. I take a peek around, a peruse. Make sure I don't see anything, you know, that would have gotten outside of Kimmon's sight. I think as you guys are looking up above you, the two of you do see a shadow flit overhead. It's hard to see clearly, and it quickly tucks itself into one of the many crevices that line the mountain peaks to your side. And Urazidi, as you were climbing up the rope, you were just hit this kind of soft splatter across your fine clothes, this white sticky substance like a bird shit on me like a very very large bird yeah. shit on you yes oh gods which which one of you two cretins threw this at me you gutter folk pranks as i'm like rolling onto the top do you know how much these quiet just get hit by the same stench that the other two have experienced oh, oh gods yeah Urazidi is fishing a, a uh, scented handkerchief out of a pocket to hold up to his face. <laughs> you two are most obscene. And then I think his like vision comes in and he like sees <laughs> the, the, the field of shit before you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, gods. Face kind of starts going white. Yeah, you managed to uh, find it fresh, it would seem. Urzidi calls down the mountain to Ishth. Ishth, is this mess compliments of these eponymous harpies you mentioned? Ishth has unplanted the spike in the front of his crossbow and is cranking it and walking up the side of the uh, that little crevice face using his feet to, to climb on up as he cranks it up and winds it back into the crossbow. And he finally gets his feet on solid ground up top. Yes, now you understand why it is called the Pass of the Harpies. We have some distance to cover. It's best we move quickly, it appears. And he gestures at Urazidi's beshatted clothes that they have taken notice. He swings his large tower shield off of his back, the one with script written all over it, and he begins making his way as quickly as he can, the occasional slippery step, of course, slowing him down somewhat. But he begins leading his way across the shit-covered plain. What do you guys do? With the occasional furtive glance up, I'm going to follow right behind him. I will follow as well. Still kind of grumbling behind his uh, handkerchief, Urzidi follows. Urzidi's sort of uh, racking his brain for what he knows of harpies. Or what if he was like taught anything by his tutors. Are you going for uh, spout lore? Yeah, I don't know how like widespread harpies are in the world, if it's something that he would know about. I mean, the harpies, you know, fly. Yeah. So they're found in high crevices everywhere, I think. So, yeah, I, I don't think that they're that uncommon. So you can definitely give me a spot lore on them. Uh, that's an eight. Something interesting about harpies. Hmm. You know that harpies are generally renowned for the beauty of their feathers and are typically very vain creatures how do you know this so i think in the courts of Oshkashar, wearing feathered cloaks is very in because you know it's that continuing the the eagle imagery and so if you're very wealthy you can like afford a cloak from one of the sacred rocks that the shah keeps but if, if you're like sort of the next level of nobility down, harpy feathers are one of the like culturally acceptable cloaks for like the, the rich but not ultra wealthy. 
Excellent. So it's fashion of the court. Yeah. So it sounds like Isht is obviously taking the lead on this, followed by Kimmin. And then it sounds like Urazidi and Neely are kind of shoulder to shoulder. Is that accurate? There's plenty of room to spread out here. It is not. You guys are no longer in a tight crevice. Yeah, I think that's right. As the three of you pick your way through this kind of open valley, maybe been walking for a quarter mile or so, making your way across the Titan's teeth. And you begin to hear this, and it echoes down towards you. And then it's kind of a bluster, just this cacophony echoing from these crevices in the sides of the mountain. Ish picks up the pace, but says nothing. Do you guys do anything? Have we reached a nest, Ish? Why are they making that noise? We have passed many. There are nests all along the pass. Only the wind keeps them from attacking the city of law. It is best to just keep moving quickly. For some reason, they seem to have taken offense. <sighs> we have a little ways to go yet. If they begin harrying us, we must hurry and keep moving. Do not stop. Did you two catch that? Yeah, we'll keep our head down. Especially you. And I grab ZD by the back of the neck and tuck his head a little lower. Uruzidi, do you have any feathers on you? Or is that only for court wear? I'm not saying you have to. Yeah, no, I think it's only for court wear, right? Like, you wouldn't take it on a journey. And I don't think that uh, Uruzidi, when running from the capital, had the presence of mind to, like, I should grab fancy clothes. He was just kind of in, like, uh, I need to leave now. So you're, like, grabbing Uruzidi by the back of the neck? Yeah. Is it the same hand that you splatted in the (laughs) shit? Absolutely. Emilio, <laughs> uh. when you wear one of my golden retainer's collars, you will learn that touching one of the blood is simply not done. And until then, I advise you to keep your apparently clammy fingers off of my neck. Listen, kid. Taking orders costs money. If you don't want me to do something, you're going to have to pay me to not do it and I just kind of like shove your head a little bit further forward and down, or you're going to have to pay me to do something else. And I think that clam you're referring to is their shit. You are... Ah! Ah! (laughs) Or like jerks his head down and away and stops what he was saying and just walks ahead, kind of hunched over, looking furtively back at the skies. As you look back, you see a couple of shadowy forms flutter up and out They begin, not like racing down at you, but sort of circling the air above you like vultures. Their great wings stretching out, held aloft more so than flapping. Still kind of difficult to see in that haze, like a fog covering the the tops of the mountain. It's not too much longer. You guys are still kind of being shouted at, screeched at, mostly from the hidden alcoves and crevices in the mountain tops. When the first harpy in this circling group dives down at you, its great wings held back, the muscles of its human torso kind of stretched back, this blistered, blackened, scaly skin covering it. Its legs are outstretched, tipped with massive talons. And you can tell that it typically look like bird legs seem to have scales like falling off of them. It dives down and tries to rake across any of you, all of you, any that it can catch. What do you all do? As it makes the first pass, I think Kimmon hears its wings and its legs outstretched. I'm going to try to grab its legs and drag it to the ground and push it and wrestle with it. Oh, hell yes. Give me a defy danger plus strength. That's a seven. You grab onto it, but you only catch one leg. So you can probably wrestle it to the ground, but this other leg is totally free to tear you to shreds. Or you can let go. No, hell yeah. Let's let's drag the fucking thing to the ground. Excellent. As you drag it to the ground, it begins to scratch at you with these talons on its feet. And they're easily six inches long. And it starts to dig into you. You're going to take a D6 of damage. Okay. Just a D6? I rolled a three. Okay. Armor totally applies. Okay, so it's two damage. 
Two damage. Uh, it's two damage, but it does, like, sink into you, and it kind of grips onto you at a certain point. But yes, you're able to wrestle it down to the ground. It's flapping its massive wings, and I don't know if anybody else knows this or knows anything about harpies, for that matter, but certainly, Urizidi, this harpy doesn't have any feathers. Where there should be beautiful, gorgeous feathers growing across its back. It's more like the wings of a bat. They're webbed, scaly, and there are even a few holes in places. But it's flapping like mad. It's great wings outstretched and beating heavily. I'm holding on to it and trying to press it to the ground, the, my foot kicking at its face as we tussle back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think I'm over it, but I don't, I don't have control, you know what I mean? Right. And it does have a human face, though with hawkish, sharp features. But it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not looking good. Kimmon is probably not visibly angry, but internally angry that there aren't any feathers on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> the entire point was to fucking hawk the feathers. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it screeches at you. This, ah! uh, this gaunt face yelling, its hair kind of hanging in shreds, and you realize you can even see the ribs underneath this thin form. Little help. Medio? Urizidi? Before you say little help, move out of the way, prince, and I shove you to the side, and then I'm going to tee off on this thing's head, like kick it in the face, basically try and knock it out. Excellent. Go ahead and... I don't know if this is quite a hack and slash. How about you just give me a defy danger plus strength? Just because you're kicking it, I think that doesn't really make sense to do your normal damage. Does that follow? Cool. Yeah, no, that's fine. Ooh, I rolled a three. (laughs) As you approach to kick it, it turns its head all the way around like an owl, and it spits out at you, covering your face and eyes in this awful, wretched-smelling, burning just slime. There's, is that a, a foot of a rat? Ugh. Your eyes are just covered by it. So I think you're, you're not going to take any damage or anything, but you're blinded by it, and it's quickly irritating your eyes. Fuck. Hang on, I can get a better one. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave both of those. <laughs> Urizidi, what do you do? Yeah, I think as Emilio kind of pushed me aside, I catch myself on the, the butt of my glaive. And take, I would say, a deep calming breath, but to drop into this sort of trance-like state of spell bladery is more like hurling myself into the maelstrom. And so I take a deep breath and just launch myself off the proverbial ledge into this potentially demonic-ish sorcery pool that I draw on. (laughs) So that's a move. You certainly aren't going to notice it now, um, but when you inhale this deeply, uh, yeah, you can like taste the air. Oh, yum. But yeah, what's your move? <laughs> so my move is sword magic. Uh, when you blend sword play and spell casting on the battlefield, roll plus int. On a 10 plus, hold three. On a seven through nine, hold two. And your technique is flawed, putting you in danger or a spot. The GM will tell you how. On a six minus, you still hold one in addition to whatever the GM says. You lose all hold when you break form or make another move. Spend hold one for one to do the following. Then there's a list. What does spending hold do? Does it work the way that like the emulator does, where that's how you're dealing damage, or is it modifiers? Or yeah, what? basically. So I can deal my damage to an enemy within near range with spell or blade, take away an enemy's advantage or give an advantage to an ally, sunder an enemy's armor, force a change of location to hold, and I choose the location, aid or interfere with someone even at a near distance, and then when you spend hold for this move, describe how your swordplay or spellcasting makes it happen, and the GM will ask or tell you who takes advantage of the opening you make. Cool, yeah. Go ahead and roll your move. That's a five. As you take this deep breath, there's another... And you realize it's right behind you as another one has silently dove down while you were focused on the combat with your friends. And you are unable to imbue your glaive with this magic because it grabs you by the shoulders and begins with a mighty thwomp, thwomp, begins hauling Urizidi into the air, dragging you away from your friends and into the sky toward the circle of harpies. Uh, Urizidi, you are lifted off your feet, these talons digging into you. I'm not going to give you more damage, though. Ish lets out one of these kind of high-pitched, you know, you don't really need the translator to know that that's their version of swearing loudly, and turns and plants the edge of his shield into the ground and pulls his crossbow out. He shoots up into the air at one of the harpies that nimbly cuts to the side, and he 
quickly removes the rope from the end of the crossbow, begins cranking up another crossbow bolt. Kimmin, you have wrestled this one harpy down to the ground, but it's still thrashing wildly. What do you do? After it spits up in Emilio's eyes, and I hear ZDs getting carted away, looking around frantically, just, uh, by the priestess. I'm going to start kicking at this harpy's face, and then I'm going to let go of the foot, pull out my dagger, and try to stab it in the throat. Hopefully I do this quickly enough that helping ZD is even an option. Yeah, give me a hack and slash. Ah, uh, no, that's a four. Oh God, you guys! <laughs> Kim, and your knife just catches air as this harpy lifts up and away from you, screeching as it goes, hurtling itself back skyward. But then you hear from behind you, ah! as Ishth is picked up and begins being hauled into the air, much in the same way that your companion Urizidi has been. Oh, fuck. They're both within reach of you at this point if you act now, but they're on opposite sides of you. What do you do? Okay, so I mean, obviously I have to choose the player character <laughs> to try to I save. I would love if you didn't. <laughs> Came in stabs basically into the dirt and looks up and sees Isht getting taken away and then looks back toward ZD. Fuck. And I'm gonna I'm gonna run towards ZD and try to grab his feet and pull him back down to Earth or we're both going. <laughs> the Emperor's son dying on my watch again seems like a bad thing. That's fair. I mean losing our guide is a bad thing, but yeah. Player character. Understandable. Understandable metagaming here, but that's a good in-character justification is, since you're from Agara, understanding the power and the reach of the Shah is probably very well known to you. Does it make more sense to you guys for Razidi to make the role and for you to aid Kimmin or vice versa? I could go for either one here. I don't really care. How do you feel, Ryan? I mean, I have an idea if you don't. If you have an idea to free yourself, then I would say we'll do you making the roll, and then Kimmin can aid. What was your idea? So I'm still holding my glaive, and it's basically to just thrust up at this harpy's wing and like try to catch the wing and pull it towards the ground. How about this, then? Uh, we'll give you the roll, and then I think the aid can come in mostly on how far up in the air you are by the time you get yourself free. Cool. Based on that aid, potentially. Does that sound good, Kimmin? Yeah, sounds good to me. Cool. So yeah, you're thrusting up with this glaive. Go ahead and give me a to fight danger plus... Yeah, we'll just give it strength. Fine. If that sounds good to you. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> My favorite number tonight, apparently. That is a five again. Oh, Fuck. you get the aid? <laughs> okay, so in that case, I think... Kim in, I'm going to give you your own role completely. I'm just not going to worry about the aid. You also have a chance to get him down by dragging them down. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I'll handle what your fail is, Urizidi, depending on what these outcomes are. Yeah, yeah. So you're jumping up in the air and just trying to drag him down to the ground? Yeah, hoping hoping to catch his heels and or body mm. and just rip him out of the harpy's claws. I'm going to say maybe like this is like a running leap. Are you cool with a dex on this? Because you're trying to catch him in midair. If you want to argue for something else, I'm cool with it. I would have thought strength, just because I... I mean, it, honestly... It I'll go strength. Okay, that's a seven. All right. Hey. hey. Kimin, I think you latch onto Urizidi's legs, and both of you are kind of lifted still aloft for a few more big flaps of these leathery wings of the harpy before both of you go falling back down to earth. The big issue here is that, Urizidi, you're going to take a D6 of damage as these claws don't gently let you go. You are, like, ripped through them. Um, yeah. So take a D6 of damage. Does armor apply? No, I don't think armor applies on this one just because it was, oh, like, cool. latched into you. So it would have already been, like, in your armor. Damage. Six damage? Ouch. That sucks. And then both of you hit the ground. And I think, Kimin, since you're kind of on the bottom of this situation... You're going to hit, and luckily, the pile of shit makes it so you don't really take any damage. But I think you do twist your ankle. Like, you tweak it a little bit. So take a minus one ongoing when you're using that ankle for anything, relying on that ankle. And then, yeah, the two of you land in a big pile of harpy shit. Melio, it's been yeah. a minute. A lot has happened while you've been blinded by this vomit. 
Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of uh, commotion <laughs> as I struggle to clean my eyes out from, you know, potentially losing them to whatever toxic spittle was shot into them. I've probably heard a, a thwap, a loosening of a bolt from a crossbow. And then I heard our guide go, ah, <laughs> and gets carried up in the flapping of harpy wings. All that's coming, and I'm wiping away. Tears are coming into my eyes and out of them. And uh, eventually, when I, I finally am able to gather my vision, I see Ishth being uh, lofted airborne. And instead of trying to do something as stupid as run and grab him, I'm going to get out my bow, and I'm going to shoot that harpy out of the sky. Yeah, you can definitely make a volley here. I'm going to give you a minus one on this because of the whole lingering blindness thing. That makes sense. <laughs> Damn you. That'll be a six. Got him! Of the minus one. <laughs> really wanted to save this guy. You shoot this arrow and it goes wide. Right as you were about to let it go, you know, you get hit by that kind of jalapeno heat that's still in your eye <laughs> that oh. causes you to flinch. Oh, God. Just goes wide of him, and Ish is carried into the mist. All you hear is a lingering, Keep moving. <laughs> Ish is carried up into the mist, kind of disappearing into a shadowy form. All that is left is his shield planted in the ground ahead of you. Everyone is in control of their own movement at this point. There's still a just a cacophonous racket of... Are they still around us? They're still circling around you guys up in the air, yes. I'm going to grab ZD by the collar, yank him out of the bird shit, and come on, we have to go. We have to go now. Emilio. I'm getting the tower shield out of the ground as you're yelling at me. He'll want this. Yeah. We're not going after him, are we? Don't be fools. Fuck no. Good. Here, take the other end, and we're going to, like, put the tower shield over us. Oh, I like yeah. that. And just keep moving. Who's we? I mean, I think we can all three fit under it unless I misunderstood the proportions of this tower shield. Yeah, no, they're, it's, it's big. Okay. Using it in this way, I think all, all of you guys could fit underneath it. It is heavy as hell, though. It's a thick, thick shield. It's not, you know, really meant to be used like a normal shield is. Carrying it like a canoe. Yeah, the three of you are able to all fit underneath it, and then you guys are, are cruising along, right? That's what it sounds like? Yeah. Yes. Cool. I just need a defy danger. Uh, I mean, you guys have the shield, I guess, plus con, if you're kind of relying on reflecting attacks. Does that follow? Yeah. Yeah, who's going to make it? Sure. I don't care. I'll do it. I rolled a 10. Oh, fantastic. There are a couple of close calls. There's definitely a, a couple of thwacks on the top of the shield. One even probably makes you guys stumble. It's hard enough and, and fast enough. But using it in this way, um, you guys are able to make your way out or make your way through, I guess, this uh, what once used to be a beautiful alpine meadow up here. And the three of you kind of make it across this pass and get out from in between the tops of the mountains. And you're standing kind of a ridge. The mountaintops have cleared out. This is kind of a ledge on the edge of the mountains. Sunken down beneath where all of you are standing is a descending, not valley, but indent in the earth, covered in this thick fog that kind of churns slowly. You realize it is the same as the sky, but almost concentrated. There are still some cries behind you. You realize it's probably best not to linger for too long at the edge of the Harpies Pass. What do you guys do? So Urizidi pulls out. So we're like looking basically down on the vulture land at this point, correct? Correct. Urizidi pulls out from his pack a uh, telescope doesn't seem like the right word, but I can't think of what they're actually called, like an eyeglass. He's going to look out over the vulture lands. Are you using uh, adventuring gear for this? Yes. Excellent. So mark that, uh, but I'm cool with it. That's some that's some expensive-ass adventuring gear, but I'll allow it because you're rich. I legitimately probably wouldn't normally allow a, a telescope, but just given your background, and this was like starting equipment for you, I think it makes sense for you to have one. Yeah. Given the conquering of like, you know, Luke. Oh, actually, no. What, what it is was the trade with Paru. <laughs> you guys have nice glass now. 
Oh, yeah, probably. Because Oshkoshar made that deal with Paru, which we specifically talked about having excellent sand for making glass. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I, I am attempting to survey the vulture lands. Excellent. Yeah, so um, we're going to activate survey the vulture lands. I'm going to go ahead and read this move out. This is one of the custom moves that I wrote for this game or whatever. So the Harpy's Pass is a point. It's a location on my point crawl map. It's kind of the first one that really opens up for you guys. So the way that this move reads is survey the vulture lands. When you spend some time scanning the dismal horizon for places of interest, roll plus one for each. A previous hit on a spout lore or discern realities in the current location. So that's one because you had your hit on spout lore. Yeah. Uh, a high vantage point or other means of farsight. You guys have that times two, but it, it's only you only get the one for that. The party is rested after camping for the night. I'm not going to give you that because you guys have been no. hiking all day. And then uh, a helpful or persuaded NPC is present. Not anymore. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then anything else you convince the, the GM should help you. So if you guys have any other arguments, otherwise you guys are going to be rolling this with a plus two. I mean, that seems good. I don't think anything else. Yeah, no, that's fine. Cool. Uruzidi, go ahead and roll plus two for Survey the Vulture Lands. That is an eight. Eight. So maybe I'm just going to read it out in full for anybody listening to this for the first one. On a 12 plus, as 10 plus, but also take plus one forward to tour the Vulture Lands when you head off, which is another one of the custom moves I wrote. On a 10 plus, the GM will describe all sites connected to your current location. Uh, on a seven through nine, choose one. You get a vague impression of all connected sites, or you get a detailed description of one connected site. And then on a six minus, as seven through nine, in addition to whatever the GM says. So you got a seven through nine, so go ahead and make your choice. You can either get a vague impression of all of the connected sites to the Harpy's Pass, or you can get a detailed description of one connected site. Give me the vague impression of all the connected sites, unless one of you guys has. I just want to know like what our options are. Yeah, no, that I mean that seems good. Yeah. So as you're surveying the area, the haze makes seeing details difficult, even with your sight glass. But it seems you can either, from here, from this edge of the pass, you can either start heading down into the kind of flatlands below you of the vulture lands. And if you head that direction, uh, it looks like there's some sort of um, large skeleton of a, of a huge creature down maybe close to where you would emerge from your descent or you guys can head along the ridge toward what looks like in the distance a structure a man-made structure mm-hmm. and those are your your two paths cool there is what appears to be uh, some kind of skeleton or and Rizzi points like down the ridge that way is uh a structure of some kind. I don't know. This infernal mist makes things difficult. Does it look man-made? Uh, Urizidi looks at Melio <laughs> with kind of an arched eyebrow. When was the last time we saw humans other than us? No, I don't think it was man-made. Fine. But if it were, I'd avoid it even faster. I don't remember getting briefed about anyone living down here. I second that. I don't like the idea of meeting anybody here. We have nothing to offer also. Only things they can take. What do you think, Zidi? I am amenable to investigating the skeleton. Settled then. Let's go. The longer we wait here, the more likely it is that somebody gets carried away again. Slap Zidi on the back. Bird shit splatters <laughs> off. <laughs> splatters off. After slapping him when you pull your hand away, it is red with blood. Uh, Zidi, your wounds are still bleeding quite profusely. Sick. And Kimmin, you realize that your puncture wound is also likewise still bleeding quite profusely. And then, uh, of course, Melio, uh, your eyeballs still, you know, they still sting a little bit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what, what I have it just I have it just as bad as you guys. <laughs> what what were you gonna ask? <laughs> On the the tower shield, yeah. it's r- inscribed all yeah, all yeah. over it. Is there a, a prominent place in the shield, like uh, something that looks a word or an inscription that seems more centralized? Like how does the script read? Does it read 
left to right, up and down? Is it just single characters floating? It's the same script as what was on the wall. So it's still this kind of illegible, strange dwarven runes. Mm -hmm. It reads right to left and uh, up to down. You're asking if there's anything in particular that's prominent? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's it's all pretty even script all the way across. There's no like one word that's like inlaid with gold or bigger than the others. There's nothing like that. It's all uniform. I uh, take my inked up hand and put it on a bit of cloth and s- press the cloth into the shield and uh, peeling it up, almost making like a, trying to make a press in the indents. And then I'm just going to press it into like a, a stone Sorry about that. And then I'm just going to walk off. So you're leaving an ink etching of what was written there? Yeah. Cool. Think of it like a grave marker. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you guys are headed down. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. So we're going to go to the next move as you guys venture off. Tour the Vulture Lands. When you travel to a new point of interest connected to your current location, uh, say where you're headed to, which we've done, and who is leading the way. So who's leading the way? It sounded like Kimmon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's me. Cool. The GM will tell the leader what stat to roll based on the terrain you will be traveling through. And then take a plus one to tour the vulture lands if you have previously traveled this route, which you guys have not. The three of you start heading down, following along this, not exactly a trail, but uh, a slightly worn path, perhaps, to your left. It immediately begins descending, and it steepens. You have to start kind of hanging on at a couple of points, fingers stuck in rock crevices or hanging onto old dead roots of small shrubs that once grew here but have now withered and died in this haze without the sun. And a few points where you're not on your feet really at all. You have to climb down a few small cliffs, small ledges, having to help each other down. So if that follows, go ahead and give me a tour of the vulture lands uh, with, oh, your worst stat, constitution. Damn. That's a five. Go ahead and mark XP for me. As you you make your way along, on a 10 plus, you would choose three. On a seven through nine, choose one. Your options for choosing is you find something useful or valuable on your way. You are aware of any potential active danger when you arrive. You do not encounter any ill effects while traveling, and you don't draw any unwanted attention while traveling. Obviously, you're not making any choice at all. Uh, you had a six minus, so you will make it to your destination, of course, but then I get to do whatever I want to. So there's a point during your descent when the sky, although already hazy and dim, grows even darker. You look up while you're climbing down a little cliff face, and you see a moving shadow above you. At first, you think it's a harpy, maybe coming down, still trying to harass you as you make your way away from them. But it lingers there. It seems to almost fill the sky. It's definitely moving, maybe flapping like a harpy would. But the only way that it would cover this much sky, if it was a harpy, if it's a foot in front of your face. And then that black shadow passes, and the dim sun returns. Not long after, your feet reach solid ground again. Level ground. No longer descending into the vulture lands. You're here. And all three of you have made it. You begin walking uh, across this finely flat ground, your feet almost feeling funny as they trek through this kind of mud, this wet earth beneath you, kind of squishing underneath your boots or your sandals. The air around you guys is definitely thicker with this, this haze. Collected, it almost has a greenish tint to it. But your eyes soon adjust, looming above you now, suddenly almost, in the mist, is another black shadow that slowly materializes from in front of you. Standing about 20 feet in the air is a skull, at first seeming to just hover there, not attached to any body, but a series of strands, these pinkish-gray tendrils reach out from within it, reaching out towards the ground. You realize that they are quivering every so slightly, not pulsing, but wiggling, perhaps. As you come closer to the skull, not far behind it, materializing again through this green mist, is what appears to be a vertebrae, also held about 20, 25 feet in the air. Fewer, but still with tendrils coming out from within it, stretching out towards the ground, holding it aloft, wiggling. There are more of these, stretching back 
you can tell in the mist away from the skull. What do the three of you do? So basically we've got this skull and then like other body parts that are also held aloft by the same thing, or is it other skulls? I think I missed something there. Uh, no, other um, pieces of what looks like a more complete skeleton, not other skulls. There's okay. just the one big old cool. skull. It's a, it's a conical head, I will say, coming out, pointing towards the three of you. How many eye holes does this big old skull have? There are three what could be eye holes in the main structure. It's probably about 20 feet long itself. The, not the skull itself, the whole structure. The skull. The skull is 20 feet long. Yeah. Urazidi gets closer, and I just want to take a look at, like, are these vines that are growing? Like, what are the tendrils? You're just, what, looking at it? Yeah. Trying to figure out what is happening here. Sure. Yeah, if you're going to spend some time examining it, I'll give you a discern realities. My worst stat. That's excellent. Mother fucker. That is a six. (laughs) You're kind of examining and maybe walk around it a little bit. And then when you lean in close, you come to kind of the slow realization that it's it's like as if someone put an ice cube and just like touched your arm with it, your left arm. And you look over and one of these tendrils has wiggled and reached out and placed itself on your arm. What do you do? Is there somebody there? One of the tendrils descending and and touching the ground from the skeleton pulls itself up out of the earth a little bit. Some of this mud kind of dripping off of it, and it slowly pushes forward and then sinks itself back into the mud ahead of it. And the skull almost imperceptibly moves forward ever so slightly, ever so slowly. The tendril that is touching you wraps itself around your arm also slowly, this icy chill running everywhere that it touches, kind of numbing your arm a little bit. Are either the two, Melio or Kimmin, either of you doing anything while Urazidi is examining? Well, did it say anything, Zidi? I believe some part of this thing is sentient, and Urazidi's like trying to pry this tentacle off of his arm? It comes easily off of your arm. Okay. Almost no resistance, but that icy feeling lingers, the, the chill. Leaves a very uncomfortable chill behind. He's like shaking his arm to try to get that like blood flowing and with some warmth back into it. Did it leave any kind of mark on ZD's arm? Just the goosebumps from being so cold. Okay. So I have a, another move that I would like to perhaps trigger. Yeah, what do you um, got? It's called Make History. The first time each session, your call, when you make yourself a part of something bigger than you, a legendary story, powerful magic, history in the making, etc., roll. On a 7 through 9, choose 1. On a 10 plus 2, whatever you choose, you become entangled, entwined, and implicated in whatever's happening. What's your pitch? I guess I don't really know what's going on. Basically, I think whatever's happening here is some like major juju, <laughs> and I would like to try to talk to this thing and interact with it if that's a possibility i don't want to like step on toes yeah yeah i don't i don't think it is and my my pitch to you is like a couple of things one you don't really know yet how you would insert yourself or even if talking to it like trying to talk to it is fine but then you're just trying to talk to it you're not making history the other thing is like making history seems to imply that there you know there has to be uh, an impact outside of wherever you are either outside in time or outside as far as like physical distance goes so I think you would have to achieve something here first, potentially, in order to even activate that. Okay. So I, I don't I don't think it quite works, but keep probing that, because I, I really like that move. I think it's really interesting, but I think it's going to take a lot of debate as to, like, I don't think it's a move that would get rolled very often. I'll put it that way. Okay, cool. Melio, you haven't said anything or done anything yet. Well, the last question asked, Melio asked... Uh, it said anything, right? Wasn't it the last thing? Yeah. It didn't say anything, but it's moving. Well, maybe we should get moving, too. I don't know if we should mess with a floating skull. You're the storyteller here. Don't you have some inkling about what this thing is? I know the stories of heroes, not floating. Is there a story about a... Displaced body. I, uh, 
I do have my bardic lore, but that's the the legends of heroes past. Is there any uh connection there? What does that let you do exactly? I will read bardic lore. Choose an area of expertise. I've chosen legends of heroes past. When you first encounter an important creature, location, or item, your call, covered by your bardic lore, you can ask the GM any one question about it. The GM will answer truthfully. The GM may then ask you what tale, song, or legend you heard that information in. I don't think that there's any specific legend about a hero relating to this thing. Okay. So I was trying to think if there would have, you know, was something there, but I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Kimmon's gone real quiet and kind of separated himself from the two of you, standing near one of the outcroppings, one of the walls, and staring as intently as he can into the eyes of this skull. It almost looks like it's looking back at you. You have that kind of feeling of being watched. So Kimmon sits back, leans against the wall. What are you? How did you get here? Are you trapped like us? There's no getting out now, huh? And I would remind you that I have... Murmur, when I discern realities, I can also ask, what do the spirits whisper here? Sure. So I'm trying to get some kind of feel for what this thing is. Or what this thing was. By asking that question or by talking to it, you're trying to activate your discerned realities. I see. Uh, I'm interested in that if you like physically engage in this area a little bit more, maybe. I think there needs to be a little bit more active than just speaking to it. If you're trying to like summon a spirit forward or something, maybe that would work. But I think that's one of your questions on Undiscerned Realities. But then your other questions wouldn't necessarily be easily fulfilled by leaning against the wall, maybe. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I mean, I am, I am like looking at it, to be fair. Yeah, you're studying it, I guess, and studying its movement and everything. So maybe there is a little bit more. Go ahead. Just, just fucking roll it. I don't know why I'm being an asshole about it. <laughs> you're you're not being an asshole. I'll give you a bit more as I like talk to it. Nothing, huh? Well, all right then. And uh, I reach up to scratch my head and and like a magician pull one of these coins of soul glass out from my hair, and I like hold it up and like, all right, there's got to be something here. And I kind of look up, hold it up, and look at the sky and don't see anything. And I'm gonna take it in like a tuning fork, hit it against the rocks. And it, it makes this kind of loud chime, and I hold it up to my ear. See if we can find the right pitch. Uh, yeah, give me a DR. I dig it. All right, that's a 10. Nice. So you have three questions. Well, we'll, we'll start with what do the spirits whisper here? I think what should I be on the lookout for? This is a pretty ominous thing, om- omen? And what here is not what it appears to be, I think, is uh, another one I want answered, because... It appears to be just a skeleton, but also it's got weird tentacles growing out of it, so something's not quite right. Not angry, life-sucking tentacles either, then. Yeah. In in really any order, you feel like answering them. So first, I have a question. What does it look like? And I think we talked about this maybe a little bit the last time. Like, What does it look like as you're looking through or listening to this spirit glass, the soul glass? Looking through it, depending on the amount of overlap between the spirit world or the or the fey land and this area it could be as something as simple as it just makes the world pink if the membrane is a little more permeable in the area i think that i could even see some of the overlap and were i to have a large enough piece i believe i could even travel between but i can't here anyway as far as the listening through it you're trying to find a counter frequency, I think, is, is so it, it, it sounds like a chime at first, and then as it dissipates, a voice comes through. So, like, like you're kind of oscillating between bands on a radio. So I have to keep chiming it, and, like, I find different sized rocks, and eventually I can kind of just, like, keep doing it and get a sustained frequency. I like it. What do spirits whisper here? Normally you're used to this kind of murmur right? All spirits are speaking or singing or humming or chiming. They're vibrating this frequency, right? This choir of spirits um, always creates a kind of background noise, the song of, of the world. And typically, you know, you're looking through your glass, you can, it kind of highlights spirits, it seems. You know, it, it, it brings them forth. 
if you can see them. Sometimes you can even see all the way across, right, to the other world. That is all cut off here. It's silent. Spirits do not sing here. They are not here. There is no choir at all. There is no highlight as you look through the soul glass. The things here are cut off from the spirit world, severed. What's not what it appears to be? This place, you realize, was violently severed from the other side, violently ripped away from the natural order of things. It was done purposefully. What should you be on the lookout for? Creeping tendril by tendril from underneath this massive leviathan that looms before you, a humanoid skeleton held aloft about five feet off the ground, seeming to try to walk at you or imitating a a human gait but so slowly as these tendrils move it along. But one leg stretches and is pulled out forward ahead of it, and then another, as if this slow facsimile of movement of life. The skeleton is drawn forward, the tendrils draping down its bones, covering them, mycelium growing out from inside the bones themselves as it comes closer to you. But it doesn't appear to notice you or be interacting with you at all. But I told you what the spirits weren't whispering. What the spirits are whispering here. Carried off by harpies. You let them carry me off. What does the spirit of Isht look like to you as it angrily lurches from the darkness? Isht looks mostly like Isht. Naked, though. Couldn't take his clothes with him. And his cheeks and his face are pecked through and his eyes are gone gouged out, big talon marks around his orbital bone, the damage almost entirely to his face. The rest of him cherubic, his hands and feet manicured and floating, he doesn't stand. I'm sorry, I made a choice. Did you have family? The spiritual form of Ish's face snarls, I have nothing now, and he seems to reach out a kind of whip or a rope to wrap around you. Melio or Urasidi? We can't see this, right? You can't see the spirit, I think. Although you might be able to see the kind of gray mist moving a little bit, right? In reaction. But is Ish the thing with the tentacles coming out of it that's moving closer to us? No, the skeleton is uh, human, not dwarven. Okay, cool, cool. That one's cruising like by you guys. It's not really coming at you. Oh, I gotcha. But you are seeing your companion speak to some empty spirit or some empty space in the air. Either of the two of you doing anything or you guys waiting? Yeah, Urizidi hurls himself off that mental precipice again. Now more calm, tries to find that sort of center in the storm just in case Kimon needs help. Yeah, go ahead and roll your... um... Spellblade move, whatever it was called. That's a nine. Cool. You said you're just preparing yourself, right? Yeah, but I think what this looks like to the camera is the veins on the back of Urizidi's hands and around his eyes start to blacken. The veins on his hands stand out from his skin. Yeah, that's that's basically just like what it looks like when he's actually channeling this power. Hell yeah. Emilio, what are you doing? Anybody talking to you, Kimmon? Isht is understandably angry. I think that he's, you know, shooting these tendrils out at me, and I'm attempting to move from one side to another, dodging this. He's here now? His spirit is, yes. Well, could you tell him that I'll make sure to bring the shield back to his family? I brought up his family before, and he didn't seem very happy about it. As as Kimmon's, like, shoving one of the discs of soul glass into his eye to see Isht more permanently, I guess. Into your own eye or into Melio's eye? Into my own eye, though I hadn't thought about okay. doing that. I just wanted to clarify it. Cool. You're the soulbinder. Can't you just take care of this? Just put him into one of your little discs. Maybe he'll come in useful later. You don't have time for whiners. Or as he says, crossing his arms in a distinctly whiny manner. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, Kimmon tries to concentrate for a second, and I'm I'm gonna try to capture Isht in my spirit catcher totem. Excellent. This was uh, your other earring, if I remember it correctly, right? Yes. Go ahead and read the move out again, just so we have it, and then uh, for sure. Spirit catcher. When you witness a creature die, you can bind its spirit to a special totem you carry. Uh, roll plus whiz. I think we're being a little bit loose with the that specific part, but yeah, yeah. On a ten plus, the spirit is captured. The GM will tell you what happens when you release the spirit. The effect is something supernatural and associated with the spirit's nature or greatest desire in life. It doesn't have a charge. Can be released freely. And I can only use it once. On a 7 through 9, there's a complication, and we can get to that if I roll a 7 through 9. Roll it. That's a 9. I'm going to spend one of my hold. You're spending it to aid, is that? Yeah, yeah. Read out what that what that option is for the hold. Uh, So, aid or interfere with someone even at a near distance. Oh, got you. Cool, sweet. Explain what it looks like when you aid. And I think, you know, you're using magic here, so I think being able to affect the spiritual world makes sense. So feel free to... I actually think that once he dropped into his blade trance or whatever, so this is my proposal, is that so long as I have hold, I can see some spirits. Maybe not, like, as directly as Kimmon, but a spirit that's manifesting itself. I dig it. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, with the, like, butt of his glaive... He smacks it at uh, Isht and, like, knocks him the rest of the way into the the earring. Like, he was resisting and the magic infusing my weapon. You take him off balance with it? Yeah, I'm just, like, pushing him into it. Yeah, I like it. I'll go and roll the aid then for me. <laughs> uh, that's a four. <laughs> oh, my God. Ow. So you're still at a nine for your your spirit capture came in right so there's a complication what are my do i have options there do you have options you do the gm will also tell you a complication such as Ah. so so you have other options but the spirit is unpredictable there's an additional undesirable effect where the spirit is restless and must be used Mm. within a certain amount of time i believe the undesirable effect is referring to when i release the spirit but yeah that makes sense I think it makes the most sense that it's it's restless. You're not going to be able to hold on to Isht for very long, particularly given that it was like a, an explicitly sentient living creature before this, right? It's not it's not the spirit of a tree or something that's maybe a little more passive. Yeah. What does it look like, really, when you capture it? We kind of described it falling into the earring or something, but what does it look like on camera? Uh, so before I had used my line of sight and basically making a, a series of refractions using a couple pieces of spirit glass. This, I think, is closer to Ghostbusters, where I have, I'm going to call it a coin, because with a disc that I toss into the ground, and he and he steps into it, or floats over it, I guess. And like Ghostbusters, a light as the energy is transferred. We've talked a bit about, like, this being, largely speaking, an energy transfer, and then he's sucked into the into the earring. Excellent. The piece of soul glass on my earring looks like one of the crystals from Crash Bandicoot. A slender pink gem, that's all. Uruzidi, I've got a fail for you. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, I think as you capture Isth, Uruzidi, you kind of just hear off in the distance this... Basically, just cheese. So it's all coming back to haunt me now. 
I hope Dude, that shows eat a up. Salad. I, just, I just want I want that as the stinger. Just Zach quietly in the distance talking about how cheese is coming back to get him. <laughs> 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 Nothing. You guys making fun of my eating habits? Yeah. No. I like dairy in the form of cheese. Fuck that. I love cheese. Everybody loves cheese. Well, who doesn't I love think cheese? If I, yeah, if, I, if my lactose intolerance ever really rears its head against cheese, I'm going to be like, well, take me now, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> take me, take me to your great cheesy anymore. gates. <laughs> I'm ready to drink from the golden fountain of fondue. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's fondue this. Yeah, he's still punning after in the afterlife. God immediately just Don't sends worry. you to hell. Heaven has few <laughs> rules, uh, but that is one of them. Well, heaven has you can't make puns. Saint Peter is an asshole. Hey everybody. So yeah, it's in, in heaven, you know, it's in there is Saint Peter, but in hell it's actually John Papa John after eating a whole bunch of uh, like oh, what no. twelve pizzas or whatever. <laughs> the secret was we put sugar in the crust. I've had fifty one pizzas in thirty one days. Oh, no. Now you have to too. No, <laughs> Okay, ZD's being carted into the air by Harpy. By yeah, Harpy. that's bad. I'm blind. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bye, ZD. You're dead. What? Oh, is this the level zero shit? <laughs> These aren't even the cyclopodes. <laughs> what do your black gates look like, man? I'm really sorry about this. This too fails. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> ZD, le- tell me what the Harpy's nest look like. <laughs> Uh, ZD, tell me, tell me what it looks like when you're baked into a casserole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I expect nice that like actually. ground human sausage looks probably pretty close to like ground pork sausage. So Hell yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. Fucking serve that shit up. Welcome to our kingdom, the casserole. <laughs> 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 this podcast is yeah, only about casseroles. Which as yeah, a Midwesterner, everything cast. can be turned into a casserole. Yep. Chili casserole. I'm I'm really partial to the egg casserole with cornflakes on top. That was a choice. Oh hell yeah. Favorite at the, the church fucking potluck. Yep. I don't know what this is. Uh, uh, it's a thing, man. Just trust me. Um church, all right. church it's, it's a breakfast. Love it. Yeah, it's a uh, breakfast casserole and you this cornflakes on top. That's all. Oh. Lasagna is just Italian casserole. It changed my mind. You're not, you're not no, wrong. It, it is. It, it is. is. You're not you're wrong. Ex- expressly. <laughs> kind of by definition, really. I just didn't know what. I just wanted to know what was in this egg casserole. That's uh, all. But I, just, I got it. Yeah, it's an omelet. It's, like it's, it's, quiche, it's, quiche, it. it's quiche without a crust with cornflakes on top. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. It's, it's poor people quiche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's quiche for people who can't spell quiche. So. Yeah, they're like eh, quiche by the lady that fucking bakes spaghettios in a pie crust. That's that's what it is. You fucking <laughs> hate that bastard. lady. Why would you put that in my? Oh feed? hell yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> that was I just watched that and it was just getting crazier and crazier by the moment as she just kept dumping ground garlic on everything and I was like, oh no, please stop. This is unholy. <laughs> what what is this? Uh, oh, uh, oh, it's in, in the, it's in the chat. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Don't watch it. It's cursed. All right. Oh, and Nathan posted it? All right. Yeah, there's a lot of cursed imagery in the chat right now. <laughs> now I don't need to watch it. <laughs> I assume it's disgusting. 